0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews,
1: analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of June 17th, 2019. For all of the dads out there, we hope that you had a wonderful Father's Day. The Chicago White Sox weekend didn't go so well, but Thursday and Friday were exciting as they split the four game series. With the New York Yankees. For a moment, the White Sox were back to 500, but they are now back to two games below 500. And there are fans wanting to see the team be more aggressive because of the offense and the spectacular pitching from Lucas Chilito. Maybe there is the chance this season they could be the dark horse wildcard contender. There are also fans who want the process to continue playing out and even suggest. One more round of selling off useful veterans to help pad the depth. We are six weeks away from the trade deadline, so we'll discuss those topics if the White Sox should buy, sell, or hold. Plus, the White Sox head to Wrigley Field to start the Crosstown Classic this week. Two games in Wrigley this week. The weekend after 4th of July, we two games at Guaranteed Rate Field. We'll be recapping the week that was down in the minor leagues and answer your questions in PO Sox. But first, we recap the weekend series, and joining me to do so is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Anytime the White Sox can split a four-game series with the Yankees is a good thing. But you wrote over the weekend about how the White Sox saw firsthand how the opener can be useful. And the question of who can the White Sox depend on starting games from the pitching front? It is not Despagne. Uh, is it time for the White Sox to finally get creative on who is starting games for them?
1: I think it's been time, but as I wrote, uh, this would be the occasion where. Uh, You know, they they have the off days, they have a bevy of pitchers who aren't quite good enough to pitch five innings on a reliable basis, and they have a number of right-handed arms that are decent. You know, like Juan has had a a decent year, although people really don't like Juan Minaya, but just take him for example, give him another name to think about him. If you have an ERA, a righty with some, you know, power stuff and an ERA in the twos, you know, throw him two innings and then back him up with Manny Banuelos and this slider-heavy approach from the left side. And, you know, maybe it's an interesting enough contrast to get six out of it. And then, you know, hopefully you're in a position where there's a lead and and uh, you'd use the relievers who aren't Juan Manaya anyway. So I think that's the whole idea. And, you know, there's a chance it might not work because, you know, the White Sox, you know, the, their pitching staff isn't all that talented, or at least, you know, they don't have arms on arms and arms like the Yankees have. But, you know, they have a couple guys worth trying. And I think, you know, when you, when you run your head, uh, you know, beat your head against the wall with Despanier, um getting shelled early and Banuelos walking runners in and Covey, you know, hitting a wall fourth inning every time, basically, it seems like, you know, there, there, something needs to be, uh, you know, I guess a different approach would be, you know, I guess they're begging for it in a way. Just, you know, something different, whether it's, you know, calling up Dylan Cease and letting a guy who might still need a little bit of time at AAA struggle in the majors for a bit. You know, that's one way. Another way is to leverage your you know, available pitchers in a different way. But right now, they just keep sticking with the same approach as if they are, you know required or whether White Sox baseball requires a five-man rotation and it's pretty clear both you know what the talent they have and with the way teams that are better than them around the league are using pitchers that they should really not uh, box themselves in like that.
0: Is this because of Don Cooper and being reluctant as you mentioned that White Sox baseball must have five starting pitchers?
1: I think it's part of it. I think that's part of his identity is that uh, five starting pitchers are the way to go. And I think, you know, if every team had their druthers to use uh, Rick Hahn's (laughs) parlance, they would all want five starters. They'd like an easy five-man rotation. They would like to set it up like, you know, the Royals did in their World Series run, where you get a starter who goes sixth, and then you have a guy in the seventh, guy in the eighth, guy in the ninth. Bam! A win. You know, I I think uh, that's the simplest way to go, but with starters getting hurt and with uh, more knowledge about how starters who aren't quite cutting it uh, can better be used to take up innings, even if they aren't the traditional six a starter usually goes... Uh, I think teams have found a way to use those guys. And the White Sox are are loaded with those guys right now. The guys who aren't quite good enough to handle a spot, but might have something to offer. So I think Cooper is a part of it. And, and I think that, you know, Rick Renteria isn't uh, all that uh, inventive when it comes to pitcher usage either. So I think it's, you know, maybe if there were... A you know a younger manager, or a manager who is more into analytics from the outside, maybe you know he would have the final call over pitchers, I think, and also he might be able to convince Cooper that it's the way to go. Uh, but I think with the managers they have on hand, and with Rick Hahn being hands off with the managers and and pitching coaches' decisions, which I think a, a, a general manager should be by and large, uh, it's just the way they are right now, and and probably the way they will be until. Either one, the pitching situation gets so bad that it's undeniable, and, and that might happen this year, or just uh, Cooper goes for one reason or another.
0: There were some big moments, though, in this series. In the first game, down 4 to nothing, it seemed that the White Sox were doomed, but Tim Anderson's three-run homer to tie it, and Lurie Garcia's go-ahead home run late provided a shocking result and a nice comeback win for the White Sox. And then in Game 2, Eloy Jimenez, again, with two more home runs against the New York Yankees, driving in six runs, a very satisfactory 10-2 win to put the White Sox back to five hundred In those two games, Jim, I think displays a side of this current White Sox team where, yes, you could see the making of a dark horse contender when Ivan Nova and Lucas Giolito are starting games. Then, as you mentioned about what happened on Sunday and then Saturday, Ronaldo Lopez again was just inconsistent uh, and he didn't look so hot. Uh, It reminds you that this team was projected to win 71 games before this season. So are we, are we witnessing a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. High type of team where they're really good one game and you could buy into them, but just wait 24 hours because you're going to see a completely different team the next day.
1: I think it's an accurate way to characterize it. I would say on the pitching front that I would put Lopez and Nova in the same camp. Uh, Nova gave up a lot of hard contact in his start, and I think Lopez got a little unlucky with that homer he gave up to Glaber Torres. It was a decent 2-0 changeup, and uh, I don't know how Torres hit it out, and that's the kind of, I I think, batted ball that makes you wonder, you know, if, if Lopez pitched without a ball that was juiced, you know, if they deadened the ball a little bit, would his numbers look dramatically different i don't yeah i still think it'd be below average but i do wonder you know maybe if the major league baseball does take steps to deaden the baseball and try to limit the number of homers that he might be somebody who uniquely benefits from that but i think when it comes to the offense yeah it's it can be dynamic times a little bit feast and famine just because they don't have a whole lot of line movers like when you look at the top of the order larry garcia is not a guy who draws walks Tim Anderson does not draw walks. Um, you know, Jose Abreu does not draw walks. Eloy Jimenez right now does not draw walks. You know, like pretty much up and down the lineup, like in, in the game that uh, they they faced the opener. They struck out 16 times, didn't draw a walk. I think that's at the extreme end of it. But, you know, they have uh, a lot of guys who are aggressive or guys who don't command respect from pitchers. And get worked around. I think Jimenez is getting there, and I think we're we're seeing a little bit more patience from him. But yeah, uh, you know, he still has uh, uh, fits of uh, over aggression. So I think that's something that needs to be ironed out. But when they have a lineup that is so reliant on hits and extra base hits, then I think yeah, they can go cold for a game or a series at a time. And and I, I think with the pitching they have, I think that's they need an offense that's more or less a steamroller top to bottom in order to get over the 500 mark uh to support those starters.
0: Okay, so this leads into an email that we got from Richie this weekend. Richie thanks for your email. And Richie is asking, do the White Sox ride the momentum and try to go for wildcard contention this year and build positive momentum and confidence heading into the window of contention in 2020 or do the White Sox artificially suppress this more by trading Alex Colomay, Jose Breu, etc., to get more prospects for the lawn haul and net a higher draft pick. Well, Richie, you have, you have helped spawn a new segment for this podcast that we're going to run for the next six weeks called buy, sell or hold. It's like measuring the temperature of how White Sox are fans are feeling. What Rick Hahn should do prior to the trade deadline. Remember there is only one trade deadline, and that is July 31st. It's simple. Buy, go ahead and add players, sell, go trade veterans, or hold, which is the gray area of not doing anything and waiting to see where the team is next week. So I ran the poll on Twitter, which I'll release the results in a moment here. Uh, if you'd like to vote in a future poll, you could follow me on Twitter at socksmachine_josh. underscore Josh. But after what you just said, Jim, about the team... You know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, maybe not so, because they really only have one good starting pitcher, uh, and Ronaldo Lopez may be having some bad luck. And on the flip side, the good luck is going to Nova, who probably is worse than his results have been displaying. So where do you stand with the White Sox right now, six weeks before the trade deadline? Do you think they should buy, sell, or hold
1: if you were running the team? I would say I'd be looking to buy. Not... Immediate upgrades, not short-term, uh, win-now type things, to bolster their wild card. I'm thinking more along the lines of guys who might be around next year, like Ivan Nova. Say if he were on the block, uh, it's not a good example because he's pitching so poorly. But he was, a, you know, he was a starter a team was looking to get rid of because he's going to be an impending free agent. The White Sox had had interest in him for years, and so you know with uh, free agency coming up or or, or with a year before that happens. The White Sox had an opportunity to get him for nothing and see what he had to offer, see if they could tweak his approach a little bit. And yeah, so far it hasn't worked. But I think, you know, with the talent that they have and the, right now the the miners are really kind of a disaster area right now. They don't have a whole lot of second-tier prospects to trade, so it's not like you can trade a redundant outfielder for somebody good. Or uh, even you know trading like Nick Magical might be like on the fringe of being dealable. I don't know if that's great because you kind of need him too a little bit. Um, I-, I think it's more along the lines of trying to find guys who might have something to offer, don't really fit into a team's uh, uh, plans for long-term, but the White Sox might... Have an idea for them. I think that's the kind of player they should add because I think you know with the with the way the team is built, uh, Alex Colomay is around for another year. James McCann's around for another year. With the way Anderson and Makata have improved, with the way Eloy seems to be figuring it out, there's an above average offense here. And if they could just get a little bit more pitching, and with the AL Central being so weak, you know it's not unrealistic to think they could be above 500. So I, I think selling Colomay at this point or selling McCann, or, or, or selling Leary, I don't know if they'll get the return to really add to the miners in a meaningful level to where they're just not starting over again next year and trying to find those same guys without really having new additions to the farm system that they can count on.
0: So the New York Yankees got a jump on the trade market by acquiring Edwin Encarnacion from the Seattle Mariners. And I believe Encarnacion is leading the American League in home runs right now, as he has 21 home runs. And it does pose the question of, wow, that's great. Where are they going to play him? Uh, Because John Carl Stanton and Aaron Judge are arriving, and we learned after this weekend that Clint Frazier has been demoted, even though he's hit 11 home runs this year. And he's been impressive offensively for the Yankees. Would Clint Frazier be an example of a player that the White Sox should target if you want them to buy Jim
1: it wouldn't be bad. Uh, Frazier has some downside. He's been banged up. He doesn't. He would add to the uh, pile of uh, poor defensive corner outfielders. But I was going to say, welcome to the club. Yeah. So he's he's not perfect, but he's got a decent approach. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't be bad. I, I just think you know with the guys they have in the farm system, like I said, like who could they trade that would be feasible? Unless you know they you know Fraser did have a um, you know. I think before a game last week, he, he, uh, you know, he had a, he had an awful defensive game, uh, you know, blew a few plays and then didn't talk to the media afterwards. Then when he talked to the media the next day, he basically sounded off and said he'd been treated unfairly from day one, you know, about his hair and about his flashy demeanor and just how he doesn't fit the Yankee profile. And, you know, I could see a situation where they sell him low, but usually Brian Cashman does not, um, you know, he's pretty savvy about it and doesn't really seem to get, uh, i guess cornered or 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 you know forced into awkward deals based on the way guys are fitting in or not fitting in at a given time he seems like he's he's adept at waiting it out so i i don't think that there's a fit there as much as i think would be feasible i just you know with guys like you know Jimmy Lambert uh, out and Blake Rutherford not playing well and Basabe being hurt and not quite being there and Adolfo being you know they just lost all these guys who were supposed to be uh, the players that they could deal for finishing pieces or or uh, cost controlled players who could be around for a few years uh, that that's what's really so harmful about uh, this this minor league season right now and uh, why it's it's you know I I think a bigger deal than people are making it when it comes to finishing this team off in a timely manner.
0: All right, how about the clearance rack? Anyone from Seattle uh that strikes you as a possibility for the White Sox seeing as how it sounds like everyone is available and everyone may have to go, Jim. I'm
1: going to pull up their roster real quick cuz you surprised me on what do you think?
0: Well, I'm looking at I'm looking at the pitching staff, right? Cuz that's what the White Sox need. Do you like Marco Gonzalez? He'd be improvement. I mean, yeah, he's better than he's better than Manny Benuelos.
1: It's possible. I'm looking right now at his, his batted ball rates because I know that Seattle's had some problems with uh, pitchers and, and uh, giving a lot of homers, and he is a fly ball pitcher, so you might be adding more to the guys who can't keep the ball in the park, but... Uh yeah, the one thing I saw with the Mariners that they're under, I guess, commands to trade anybody making money. So they might want him around just to fill out a rotation for somebody who's cheap, but no, it wouldn't be bad. Like, uh, I think uh, the White Sox, you know, looking at his profile here, uh, you know, he is a soft-tossing lefty. So in, he, he's working with a smaller margin of error. He is a change-up guy. So, I mean, the White Sox, I think, have been stymied by him in the past. So there is that. Um, but it would be an improvement, but I think just somebody who um, might not be a difference maker, might be along the lines of an, of on Nova to where they come over and just, you know, in in a smaller park, in a livelier park, just the, the homers pile up and then uh, you're kind of back where you started. So I guess I'm a little bit, uh, I think he's somebody who can outperform his ERA just because he is a, uh, you know, a lefty who holds runners uh, can occasionally get fly ball luck. But I think, uh, yeah, just uh, moving to a smaller park and with the way the ball is flying out, I would just be a little bit skeptical that it could work in a meaningful manner this year. But if he doesn't cost really anything uh, dramatic, then, yeah, I, I think uh, it'd be worth giving him some starts.
0: Yeah, because Mike Leak has a full no trade clause. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Uh and I'm gonna put him down as no, do not acquire Mike Leek. Uh I guess D Gordon is available, but the White Sox do they need D. Gordon at second base? I don't think
1: he's so. On, he's on uh for thirteen point three million. He's kinda like Leary to me. Okay. Like just uh you know, average based aggressive hitter um not bad but also not somebody who addresses the offense's biggest problem which is you know play discipline walks keeping the line moving in a in a meaningful way there's
0: UC Kikuchi which he just signed so I don't think he's going to get moved that'd be odd <laughs> to sign that deal and then move him uh Wade LeBlanc 34 year old soft tossing lefty Tommy Malone starting games for them they really like the soft tossing lefties all of a sudden yeah and then they have a lot of young guys. Like I, I'm kind of confused where the messaging out of Seattle is that they're the clearance rack. They're trying to move all these guys. Uh, I don't know. A lot of these guys are are pretty cheap, and some of them are pretty young. Like if you're just gonna slap a team together, you would want to keep some of these guys. So I don't know. Maybe it is. Marco Gonzalez is someone that they'd be willing to move, or. Maybe try to convince Mike Leake to waive his no-trade clause.
1: Yeah, it's like Mike Leake, Kyle Seeger is the other guy, you know, making money. Yeah. Mitch Haniger's hurt right now. Um, oh, my God, the worst type of injury yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah, and e- even before, yeah, yeah, that's right, the uh, ruptured testicle. Um, yeah, even before that, he was leading the league in strikeouts, so he's somebody whose profile is a little bit sketchy right now, so it's... They're in a weird spot, but yeah, just I think the guys who they can't move are guys that are really tough to move, So, or guys who they'd want to move, I should say, are the guys that might naturally not be movable, aside from Gonzalez, like you All said. All right,
0: so we talked about Clint Frazier. I think he's going to get moved. I do, Jim. I think the Yankees are going to move him for some starting pitching. There's people already saying maybe he goes to Toronto for Marcus Stroman, which I think the White Sox should acquire about Marcus Stroman if the Blue Jays are serious about trading him, maybe sending him out to San Francisco in a possible Madison Bumgarner trade. Uh, But I'd be surprised after July 31st if Clint Frazier's still with the New York Yankees. I I think the Yankees have a valuable trade piece here that uh, could beat out other teams, especially looking for starting pitching. The Yankees, uh, they do need another starting pitcher for their staff.
1: Yeah, and I think you mentioned those teams. Those are the teams that, you know, really have something to offer a team like the Yankees. You know, guys who can help them win now. The White Sox really don't have guys. Aside from, like, Alex Calame, maybe James McCann for the catcher-starved team that thinks that this is a a real improvement from him and not just a whole lot of great uh, luck on his side right now. And maybe Larry fits rosters. But nobody really is transformative to a team's 25-man roster. And I think... uh, uh, when it comes to guys like Stroman and, and guys like, uh, you know, a guy like Frazier, you know, a guy like Strowman who can help them win now, a guy like Frazier can help them win later. Just, I think there's going to be too much competition uh, that can outbid the White Sox. You know, I think in order for the White Sox to outbid these teams, they'd have to give up guys who are, you know, they're counting on for their own rebuild, which I think is uh, uh, kind of a bad spot for them.
0: Yeah, a Toronto-New York deal would be interesting that interdivision trade sending Fraser to the blue Jays. Cause he'd start right away for them.
1: Yeah. And Ken Rosenthal had a piece where teams are getting past that whole, uh, division rival hex that, you know, they didn't like doing that forever. And now they're just realized like, Oh, they're just other teams. Maybe that is the best deal. Maybe with, uh, you know, two wild cards that it is possible for both teams to actually get what they need and actually, you know, compete without, I guess, directly undermining each other. It's, uh, Mm-hmm. And it's been like a really long time, I think. For uh, even the White Sox are doing this a little bit, you know, trading with the, uh, Detroit, Minnesota, and uh, Cleveland. They, over the last, I would say, five years, they've they've knocked down those uh, long-standing barriers. So there is something to that, and I think you know the Blue Jays are far enough away, and and I think Strowman's their one big guy to where you know if that is the best offer, I think they need to take it. So
0: as of right now, in mid June, those are the teams that we know that are selling. And obviously the San Francisco Giants and the Toronto Blue Jays have two big pieces looking to sell. And Marcus Stroman and Madison Baumgartner. Obviously the market's going to change in a month. Who knows? Maybe another team will try to cut in line and make a deal happen before July, before the All-Star game. It would be a surprise because a lot of teams wait for the last minute. But with the last minute this year, as I mentioned earlier in the show – After July 31st, there's no waiver trade deadline. You're not going to be able to get another Justin Verlander in the month of August. You're going to need to get the deals done by July 31st. So maybe the market moves a little bit quicker than we've seen in the past. On Twitter, we had 500 votes in our poll. 30% agree with you, Jim, to buy. 26% say sell. And the other 44% are with me. I am in the hold category right now because I'd like to see – what happens when we talk next week for Monday show after the series in Arlington against the Texas Rangers. If the White Sox look like they're the better team, I say go by, because right now the Rangers, if the season were to end today, would be the second wild card. But Giolito is not pitching that series, so it will be tough for the White Sox to win that series. If it's a bad three games, and let's say they just get smoked and they get swept, I have to imagine Rick Hahn is going to prepare to sell some more, and I can't fault him for doing so, but I swear if he trades relievers for more AA relievers, Jim, that need to be added to the 40-man roster, my head will explode. But after the series in Texas, I will move away from the hold. I'll either be in the buy category or I will be in the sell category. And another reason I'm in the hold category is what you mentioned with the prospects. It it just doesn't seem like if the White Sox do want to make a big purchase, like go get Marcus Stroman. Okay, who are you trading from the White Sox farm system? Do you really want to touch in the top five prospects in your farm system right now to get someone like Marcus Stroman? Because I think that's what it's going to require to outbid the other teams. As we mentioned, the Yankees need a starting pitcher. And whatever starting pitcher you want the White Sox to get to help them next year that's worth the damn, you're going to have to do better than Clint Frazier. And that's a tall order for a lot of teams, teams especially like the White Sox they don't have a lot of depth. So that's why I I would love for them to buy. But as you, you nailed it right on the head, Jim, the prospects haven't done their part of the bargain. And I know that they're starting to hit better in Birmingham, but would recency bias sway – a team's thinking if they look at June stats and double a and say, you know what, maybe these guys are turning, turning a corner. My scouts say that they're approving. Okay. Let's make a deal. Do you think we've seen enough progress so far in the minor leagues for that type of thinking?
1: I think it, you know, it depends on who they're giving up for these guys. I mean, like, you know, when it comes to double a, you know, say if if Luis Gonzalez or Gavin Sheets or uh, Blake Rutherford, all these guys who are going to AA for the first time, if they need a full year to figure it out, but by August are looking like they're in command of the competition, then you know that seems like a um, you know reasonable learning curve for them. And so I, I don't think that would scare teams off. But right now, I think they're not, you know none of them are performing that well. So you need to say like it would be a trade more based on like oh I think we're seeing now uh them recognize pitches better or i think we can see something in their swing that they're doing wrong that we can fix pretty easily it would need to be something like that i think there would still be a trade based on faith more than performance and i think you know if a, tra- a team is acquiring them based on that then i think the you know what they can command uh what the white Sox can command and asking for those players is is not anything really measurable
0: okay so i'm at the hold state right now so jim is in buy, I'm in hold mode where 44% are with me, 30% with Jim, and then 26% are all ready to sell, which I'm sure they're looking at possibilities on who the White Sox could acquire for Alex Colomay. I I have a feeling that the closer market is going to be – there's going to be some names there. So it's not like Colomay is going to be the best option for closers available Come this trade season, he'll be attractive, but I don't think he'd be the best option. So we'll see what happens. But again, we'll play this throughout uh, the next six weeks here as we lead up to the trade deadline for the Chicago White Sox. But speaking as far as prospects, a new face is joining the White Sox this week. As unfortunately, there were two injuries, two players that had to be pulled out of Sunday's game. Uh, First, Yohan Makata did not play the entire game as he returned back to the lineup uh, after suffering back spasms, uh, he left the game, and Rick Renteria told the media afterwards he doesn't have to go on the injured list, and they're going to try to see if he's okay for Tuesday. I'm not the biggest fan of pushing players who are having back injuries uh, to try to play through them, but whatever. The other back injury is Willy Castillo, and Willy to Castillo is now on the 10-day injured list which means the White Sox need a catcher. Last time they called up Sebby Zavala, but this time they are calling up Zach Collins, who will be joining the White Sox and making his Major League Baseball debut at Wrigley Field in 50 games during the 2019 season at AAA. Collins is hitting .250 with a .374 on base percentage, slugging .482 with nine home runs and 39 RBIs. The good news is that he can hit right-handers really well. He's hitting .268, with a 400 on-base percentage and he selects 5.12. The bad news: since May 1st, including a injured list stint because of a concussion, Collins has only hit three home runs. He had 11 extra base hits in April. He's only had eight since May 1st. Collins is also striking out 51% of the time against left-handed pitching in 2019 at AAA. So Renteria should keep that in mind don't have Collins face left-handers. But other than that, Collins could hit right-handers well. We know he's got a lot of power, Jim. We've been hearing about his batter eye for a really long time. What are your thoughts about finally seeing the 2016 first-round pick making making his Major League Baseball debut?
1: I think it's a good time for it. Like you mentioned, if they use him in the right sense, you know the, the performance against lefties really is troubling. But against righties... You know, he's got a 931 OPS. He's striking out, eh, you know, more than a quarter of the time, but, you know, reasonable amounts, especially for the power he hits with and, and the walks he draws, you can deal with, you know, having a strikeout rate that, you know, eyeballing it looks like about 28% or so. Um, you know, he does have, he's one of many Charlotte hitters who is uh, benefits from uh, uh, Charlotte's ballpark. So there's that to keep in mind. But uh, I, I think with Collins, the, uh, the curious thing with me, and I think it's been the whole thing, I guess uh, subject of debate with his stock is that so much of his value is predicated on walks and and is it the kind where he's passive and taking advantage of wild minor league pitchers or is it the kind where he can keep major league pitchers honest? I think uh, he's tried to shake that label a bit, especially at the start that he had. He's trying to be more aggressive and prove that he could hit and not just take walks because he waited for them. Um, but it's going to be something uh, a whole different level to tests against major league pitching. And so... Um, I, I am curious to watch it play out. It would be nice to see a White Sox hitter, you know, as we mentioned with all their aggressive hitters, that it'd be nice to have somebody who can take a walk and set up a, an opportunity for the guy behind him. But uh, I have a feeling it could be a lot like Juan Makata's rookie season to where uh, pitchers take advantage of his passivity. He gets rung up a lot on... Uh, either strikes looking or gets into 0-2 counts and expands the zone. And that could be a case where, you know, he's not quite ready yet. But I think it's time to at least test him against right-handed pitching. And if it works out well enough, even if Castillo comes back, and even if they want Castillo around, you know, there is an opportunity at first base slash DH with uh, Yonder Alonso being a disaster right now.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people who think Collins is going to stick around for the rest of the season. I'm not 100% sold on that. But where do you stand with that? Because, uh, well, Castillo has been hitting better for the White Sox. uh, But you mentioned Yonder Alonso, and I'm not exactly sure what's going on now. I don't know if the White Sox are just done with Yonder Alonso because he was playing every day. Didn't matter what handed the pitcher was. He was in the lineup, and now he's been riding the bench. Do you think the White Sox are sending the signal that Yonder Alonso now is definitely a part-time player and maybe
1: his playing time is up? Yeah, it seems like they're setting up for it. That's why, you know, when looking at Collins, he did play first base uh, after coming back from the uh, injured list with the concussion. Especially, he played it more in uh, June than he did in May. And it does seem like it's setting up for uh, a, I guess, work there. Uh, the one thing is that Sebi Zavala was also injured for a part of the time, so it's hard to tell how much uh, of Collins' catching was due to uh, Zavala not being around. Zavala was also uh, between him being injured and him being in Chicago, there was some time where Collins had the position all to himself. So when they were both healthy and there wasn't a whole lot of time with them both being healthy, they did rotate between catcher and DH and first base. So I'm not sure whether first base is truly in their plans or not, but given how much they like running James McCann out for DH and the way McCann's hitting, he should be DHing more than the usual catcher. It does make some sense to have a third catcher there. Uh, in the lineup to have this kind of flexibility, especially when you have cases like Wellington Castillo leaving early because of an injury or Wellington Castillo leaving early because he gets thrown out to arguing a uh, strike zone. That was not bad to him. So uh, yeah, there's a, uh, there's an opportunity here. I just wonder if Collins will be somebody who puts the ball in play enough to really keep pitchers honest this first time around. We shall see.
0: Do you think he makes his uh, debut on Tuesday with uh, being paired with Ivan Nova because Nova has been pitching to Castillo, I think, you know, with the,
1: uh, you know, with calling him up at this time, it seems like they're, they aren't telegraphing that they want him to play right away with Castillo being hurt, you know, just like they okay. need somebody to come up and catch, uh, be the second catcher. And I think, you know, given the environment, given how well McCann's playing, uh, there are no real playing time uh, discrepancies and, and given that... When it comes to Nova's struggles, you know, maybe they want McCann in there, somebody who knows how to, you know, call a game and handle a major league pitcher, that maybe that's not the right environment to have Collins make his debut. He may be like a bench bat if they need, uh, you know, uh, left-handed power to come in and, uh, you know, during one of the many uh, pinch hit opportunities that will be available. And also, you know, there could be a situation where if there is a blowout that he could come in and catch a few innings or, um, you know, play a couple innings at first base. So there should be an opportunity for him to get... Uh, a couple of bats or maybe some innings if games get out of hand. But I think right now with the White Sox treating the Crosstown series is pretty important, you know, based on the way they've rearranged the rotation that I think they'd want the best catcher for their best pitchers.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that as we preview the first series of the Crosstown Classic between the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Cubs. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor, Seat Geek. So I have my good buddy from San Diego. He's flying out to Chicago after 4th of July weekend. And he tells me, hey, I want to go to the White Sox Cubs game that weekend. Can you help me get tickets? Well, I was lucky enough to find nine tickets on SeatGeek for the White Sox Cubs when they play in guaranteed rate field. And I love using SeatGeek because with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves that there's a better way in buying tickets, searching sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. And the reason why I always use SeatGeek, one, the customer satisfaction. They got over 50,000 five-star reviews. And I just like the way that SeatGeek works. I picked the option of including prices with fees so I'm not surprised or have sticker shock when I check out. I know what each seat costs with the ticket price plus the fees right away. And they pull together millions of tickets from all over the web, and they rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And finally, Seeky displays them on an interactive seat map, so I can browse in what part of the stadiums would be best for our big group. And they break down the details. The green dots are good deals. The red dots, those tickets are overpriced. Stay away. And the best part is that for Sox Machine listeners, if you are looking to buy tickets for that series or any upcoming game or any event, you get to save $10 off your first purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and use our promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. As we mentioned, the Chicago White Sox head north. They stay in Chicago. They go to Wrigley Field this week after their day off on Monday to face the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs are 39-32 and on the season as they lost the series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. It was a very competitive series and maybe a preview of another Ch- National League Championship series between the Cubs and and Dodgers the Cubs are right now one game back in the National League Central of the Milwaukee Brewers in the standing so they're currently in second place and the Chicago Cubs have been terrific at Wrigley Field they are 24 and 11 at home just amazing at home and how well they're playing so that's not playing into the White Sox favor and their last 10 games the Chicago Cubs uh, have been 500, they've been 5-5 five and five in their last 10. And the pitching problems for this series on Tuesday at 7.05 p.m. Central Time, both games are at night. It'll be Ivan Nova against Cole Hamels. And on Wednesday, it is Lucas Giolito against John Lester. So with two left-handers on the mound, Jim, that maybe adds into what we just talked about with Zach Collins. Probably not a good game for Zach Collins to make his Major League Baseball debut other than being uh, a bat off the bench. So we'll probably see James McCann for both of those games. But you just alluded to the White Sox shuffled their rotation to have Nova and Giolito pitch these games against the Cubs instead of maybe giving Giolito some extra rest and having him start against the Texas
1: Rangers in Arlington. Do you like this move? uh i i would have liked it more had they not uh, had rick and not pushed giolito weirdly uh you know with the rain and with the you know pitch count past 100 and after he had a high stress sixth and then they pushed him out for the seventh to face a couple batters three more pitches <laughs> just like if they're going to be that aggressive and not give him the you know extra days rest that the schedule allows and i think uh then it would have made sense to you know cut his pitch count after you know six innings and 90 pitches when, uh, he had a huge nine run lead to work with. So that's a little bit, uh, I guess confusing or counterproductive to me, but overall, you know, I do like the idea that they are using the off days while they are a couple games within 500 to see if they can keep within that. I think the schedule makes it very difficult, but, you know, should they have the kind of stretch where... Um, The strength of the schedule does pound them into the ground. Then there will be more opportunities for rest later and extra starts and extra days off. And so uh, I I think uh, they may as well try to keep the excitement while the the schedule allows them to.
0: Anything else that you're going to be paying attention to? Because you know with these two games, there's always extra attention when the White Sox and Cubs meet.
1: Well, I think, you know, the bullpens are a little bit wobbly on both sides, you know, especially before you get to the closer spots with the White Sox. So, there, you know, there is that. Um, I'm curious about Yoan Makata. You know, he, he seems like he's destined to go on the DL, but, uh, you know, he missed all the first three games. Of the Yankee series comes back for the finale, leaves that with more upper back tightness. Rick Runter <laughs> says he can play on Tuesday. That doesn't seem right or possible so I'm curious to see whether he'll play or whether he'll you know leave the White Sox with a short bench but they do have some you know ways to flex it they have a you know short um you know they can shorten the rotation call up an extra position player so Collins will be one of John Jay might be another one maybe he'll get some opportunities um but yeah it's just with uh it would be cool to see Eloy Jimenez go off I think even if they lose if Jimenez can have some moments you hit one onto Waveland then that would be kind of a fun reminder of just uh, what the Cubs you know, had to uh, forfeit to get Jose Quintana and, uh, you know, how the, I guess, fortunes of the Crosstown series might change over the next few years.
0: Yeah, I wonder how Cubs fans would handle that. Let's say if they win on Wednesday because Lucas Gilito was terrific and Jimenez comes up with a big home run. I'm wondering how Cubs fans would feel about Jimenez and then look at Kyle Schwarber and Albert Amora, and Jason Hayward, and wonder, man, where would we be if Jimenez was still with the Cubs?
1: Uh, You know, I I wonder with his defense whether he would have been traded at some point. Um, You know, should his defense have progressed as poorly as it, uh, with the Cubs as it has with the White Sox. So they might've still faced that decision, but I, yeah, I think some Cubs fans will, but I think, you know, they're still in good shape and, and have plenty of talent. So it would seem a bit short-sighted to do so. Um, you know, going back to, you know, while you're reading the ad, I was kind of clicking around, you're thinking about pitchers who were, um, you know, might be targets for the White Sox, um, that fit that kind of, uh, buying low, seeing if they can get something extra out of them. What do you think of Chris Archer? I don't know. How has it been going in Pittsburgh? It's been terrible. Hmm. He's got a 5.85 ERA, and he's been hurt. But he's you know well, buying low. It would be yeah. they would be buying him low. He's got two years left. Uh, I think one is a buyout. So there's that. Um, but you know he's got you know given the history of pirates pitchers leaving and succeeding elsewhere like Garrett Cole and uh, and Tyler Glass now. I do wonder if they're, you know, uh, he's getting burned by a sinker the way Giulio was last year. I wonder you know, if he might be a good buy-low candidate to where he's expensive enough to where teams competing wouldn't really be interested in trying to fix him. But if the White Sox have, have time and starts and can use the rotation spot, that was one guy who I thought, like, huh, he might be on the nice. downside of his career. And it might be an expensive mistake, but the White Sox have money to spend because they didn't spend any of this past off season, So, Well, there you go. Striking out a lot of guys, but giving up a ton of homers. In Pittsburgh? Yep. Huh. Interesting. It has given up 17 and 64 and two thirds innings.
0: You'll fit right in. Uh, with The rest of the White Sox starting staff. I just know that Tampa Bay is going to win that deal <laughs> because Austin Meadows. Yeah. Uh, got into rhythm and well, we'll see what Tyler Glass now, as far as his injury, he was pitching terrifically for the Rays before he got hurt. Uh, what would you be willing to give up though for Chris Archer?
1: I don't, you know, I don't think it would cost them anybody they would miss like in terms of their, their top prospects. I don't think they could, I don't, unless Pittsburgh was hell bent on recouping the value they lost in prospect, um, and, and young player talent that they gave up, but I don't think anybody would meet that price. What about Blake Rutherford? Yeah, I think they could give up that second tier that Gonzalez Rutherford sheets, you know, Birmingham tier. You know, Steel Walker might be as high as they go. But I think even Steel Walker might be a bit much, depending on if they wanted another team to eat all the cash. But well, something to watch.
0: Now, I'll watch his upcoming starts and uh, see if I hop on that train with you for Chris Archer.
1: Thing is, he does have a uh, 1.8 million dollar buyout for, so maybe they wouldn't feel pressured to deal him for nothing. But even then, you know, they might want something just for that. You know, uh, you yeah, know, I guess. And so the 1.8 million buyout, you know, it's possible. Pittsburgh's in an odd situation,
0: right? They, they got Josh Bell, terrific young talent. Uh, there's some people thinking that he could be an MVP candidate in the National League, but I think in the National League, it's whoever finishes in third with, behind Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich at this point. Uh, but they got some aging stars, Starling Marte and Polanco, and you mentioned Archer, uh, Trevor Williams. I've, I I don't have a good feel on what Pittsburgh is doing in the near future. So maybe maybe there could be a deal
1: done, Jim. Yeah, and they just did one for you know Von Nova, so it seems like they would they might know each other system. And, Go to
0: that well again. Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it hasn't worked out well. For, it, it, fortunately, Jordi Rosario has not yet pitched for Pittsburgh, but yeah, it was just an idea like that of a pitcher who would be buying low. Uh, would help the white sox if they can you know dust them off clean them up and you know get them back to at least league average for a couple of years.
0: Alright, so that's the buy side. Going back to White Sox Cubs on the selling side. Is Alex Colome auditioning for the Chicago Cubs? I know the Cubs signed Craig Kimbrell, but the Cubs could just stack their bullpen, which appears to be their only weakness.
1: They could. Um you know he would fit in their um yeah, and, and Columet, I think, is not the kind of established closer to where, you know, he would feel like, you know, being Sepolo Craig Kimbrell would be an insult and there would be some discontent there. Uh, it's, it's possible. Uh, I, I'm not totally up to speed on who the Cubs still have in their farm system who's worth acquiring. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Unless, you know, it's like an Albert Almora type. Do
0: you like him? I don't know. Like, I guess you could throw him in center field and then you don't have to worry about him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just the center field part, like having the guy who's an above average defender and, and giving him every day at bats and maybe he makes the next step. Yeah. If they're looking to, you know, actually move him somewhere and then and, and they can never find playing time for him or never think he's going to amount to anything with the playing time they have, or it's just a limited player overall. I don't know, but
0: I don't know. It's just something that I'm pondering. That's going to, what I'm going to be watching. I'm mostly going to be I'm going to be watching on what the White Sox do. The other 50% I'm going to be watching on how Cubs media is taking away from watching the White Sox and getting another perspective because obviously we have our heads in this daily following this team, talking about this team all the time, and then maybe some in-city perspective, especially from media and a fan base that has gone through a rebuild and has enjoyed the success uh, as far as the rebuild for the Cubs working out to to see who they think is interesting and uh, if Columet would be a target because the Cubs are one team that I thought of uh, that could continue to add into their bullpen, but I think every team would be looking to add to their bullpen, especially on how postseason baseball is played. The dream would be trading Columet to the Yankees for Clint Frazier. But I think that's just too much. So, yeah, uh, that would be a dream. And I am preparing myself for more double A relievers that need to be added to the 40 man roster.
1: <laughs> I think they uh, have learned from that, Jim. I would just, hope so. It,
0: it, yeah,
1: just <laughs> and I you can't be sure. But I think, yes, yeah, Soria might have I mean, Soria had a limited trade market because he was going to be a free agent. But I think I'm hoping that one extra year of team control actually makes a difference.
0: Yeah we shall see who knows maybe the white Sox keep him around uh for the 2020 season there's a lot of fans that do want to see alex colomay stick with the white Sox, and they don't want to see the white Sox sell but again this is where we are we're within six weeks of the trade deadline i do think the trade market is going to move a little bit sooner than we have been we have been seen in previous seasons and again we'll be touching all the trade rumors and all the moves that are made and how the White Sox are involved in the Sox Machine podcast. We'll do that every Monday with buy, sell, or hold. But Jim and I will be reconvening later in the show during PO Sox. But coming up next, it's the Minor League Report. A quick word from our sponsor, Lightstream. Let's say after your vacations and buying a lot of White Sox gear and tickets for this season— uh, you got a lot on your credit cards right now as far as balances, and you're looking for a way to save some extra money for the rest of the summer. Well, why not start by paying less interest on your credit card balances as you can refinance with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. It's an easy way to save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars and lower your interest rate as Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.95% APR with AutoPay. And that's a lot lower than the average credit card interest rate, which is over 19% APR. There are absolutely no fees and you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. And Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience and that's exactly what they deliver. This isn't a pay loan type of service. Lightstream, you need to have good credit in order to get this type of loan. So if you are someone with a credit card that has over 19% interest rate or even more than 6%, really consider getting a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. As the APR is at 5.95%. And for socks machine listeners, if you apply now, you get a special interest rate discount. And the only way to get this discount is go to lightstream.com slash socks. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash socks to get a special interest rate discount on a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.5% auto-pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com
1: slash Sox for more information. Welcome to the Minor League Report, and the end of the first half for three of the White Sox four full-season affiliates. Charlotte's All-Star break matches up with Major League Baseballs, but Birmingham, Winston-Salem, and Kannapolis will all get a few days off starting today. Charlotte will keep playing, but without Zach Collins and John Jay, both of whom are reportedly on their way to Chicago. Dylan Cease is not yet there, although as we talked about, he's had two straight starts with disastrous first innings, so he might have a little to learn at the level, at least right now. With Collins in Chicago, it leaves Danny Mendick, Daniel Palka, and Sebi Zavala as the only position player prospects worth following. Mendick's back on a hot streak, going 9-for-20 with two walks over his last six games. Palka's numbers have leveled off back to where he was last year where he's hitting for power, but with a big disparity with walks and strikeouts. Birmingham finished its first half with the worst record in the Southern League at 27-42, and they're feeling it on both sides. None of the full-season Barons have found anything resembling lasting traction, and even Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal went cold over the weekend. But the bigger problems are on the pitching side. Jimmy Lambert hasn't appeared in a game since June 3rd because of a forearm strain, which is never good, and Alec Hansen made his first start of the season on Saturday and walked five of the seven batters he faced. With Bernardo Flores also injured and Cody Medeiros looking like a reliever, it's been a really tough half for the White Sox pitching depth. Winston-Salem had the opposite fortune, going 38-26 and finishing second in the Carolina League Southern Division without a whole lot of name-brand prospects. They finished the half winning 20 of their last 26 games, even after losing Magical and Robert to promotions. It helps that Steele Walker has started finding a groove. Over his last six games, he's raised his average by 40 points and his slugging percentage over 100 points, thanks in part to five extra base hits, including a cycle on Friday. Connor Pilkington also threw down on Saturday, allowing just one run on one hit over six innings. Canapolis finished a hot and cold first half at 28-40, good for the second-worst record in the Sally League. They've been short on hitting, finishing with the second worst OBP and third fewest runs, as Bryce Bush, Corey Zingari, Amato Nunez, and Luis Carbello all have averages below the Mendoza line. Bush will probably appreciate the all-star break in particular, as he's been in really rough shape after coming off the injured list. He's 4 for 38 with 20 strikeouts over his last 10 games, although three of those hits did leave the yard. It doesn't help that the Intimidators are also between promotion cycles. While they graduated guys like Walker, Pilkington, and Cade McClure, they won't get any notable draft picks in the system because the White Sox went with the prep-heavy approach this time around. They'll have to hope that all their second-half improvement comes from Bush, Lennon, Sosa, and the like. Speaking of prep players, the Great Falls Voyagers are underway, and the roster is loaded with 19- and 20-year-olds. Last year's prep picks like Cabrera, Weaver, Lencia Delgado, and Kelvin Maldonado are there, as are high-profile international signings like Anderson Camas and Luis Mieses. If you didn't get a chance to check it out yet, I previewed the Voyager season on Sox Machine on Saturday. And on the subject of season previews, I'll have one for the AZL White Sox on Monday or Tuesday, depending on when they release the roster. The Arizona Rookie League season starts tonight. That'll do it for the Meyer League Report. Now let's answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've
0: stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to at Socks Machine, liking our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Socks and helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend at Patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And I'm rejoined with Jim Margulis on the Sox Machine podcast to answer your questions and Jim the first question we have in the mailbag comes from Gukus Leagido and Gukus is asking I cannot understand the casual indifference the White Sox appear to have with fielding an interesting competitive if not flawed team why have the White Sox not seized this opportunity by calling up Dylan Cease and others the fan base would accept a failed attempt if the team went for it.
1: It was funny. I was looking at this question and, and, and looking at the others on Patreon, and there was another question that basically addressed the same issue from, I, I was, it was the other side of the same coin. And if you can, computer, if you can call up Mark Hope's question. Yes, Mark's question. After a desolate
0: decade, I can understand that any time a White Sox team could be thought of as quote-unquote average as been pretty exciting. But are we all getting too worked up over a team that based on run differential and opponents should be 27 and 42 based on third order wins from baseball prospectus?
1: Yep. That's really the, the one thing it, it, when writing about this team and with trying to figure out how good they are is that the strength of schedule has been so bad that in, in the, in the run differential uh, is not in their favor either. They get, they tend to get waxed by teams that have a decent offense. Um, that it just makes it really hard to buy into this team to where even like a, a, an upgrade like say Dylan Cease, I can see him struggling right away or being like a uh, Carlos Rodon who gives four to five high effort, uh, decent innings every time out. Where that's not enough to to move the needle and their flaws are still too big on the other two or three days to where you know a bad week just completely kicks them out of the race and you know say if they added to that with a trade or you know any kind of um you know where they had to leverage any notable talent to acquire somebody to where they have the James Shields situation all over again from a couple years ago where they say we just gave up Fernando Tatis Jr. for a guy who didn't help at all and I think that's uh you know I I do agree somewhat with the idea that the White Sox would not be slammed for trying to make something out of this uh, surprising run. But when it comes to the wild card, I think the league is just too lopsided and that the upper class will run away from the middle class. Uh, And and I think the White Sox are part of this very small middle class to where uh, it just kind of, I would call it a uh, uh, tilting at windmills a little bit, just not quite able to close the gap, no matter who they call up and win. So uh, I'm, I'm, I guess I would like to see the White Sox be a bit more competitive. Like I would like to see them, you know, get her some dead weight. I, I would have liked to see Dylan Cease come up, although, um, you know, it is, he was just a little bit, uh, too bad in his last two starts. I think to call him up right now, I think that would be a ballsy move. And if he had a really bad first start, then you just, it would just immediately cause second guessing. What are you doing calling him up after he had two really ugly starts, um, but yeah, I would, before those two starts, I wouldn't mind seeing CSUP. up. So there are some things they can do just to really, I guess, hone the team and, and make it uh, a bit more streamlined and ready for eva- evaluating this, the talent for next year's push. But I don't see enough to close the gap uh, during this really tough schedule and make them anything more than the, the briefest of shadow contenders for <laughs> a stretch in, in mid-June. The good news,
0: the White Sox have 13 more games against the Detroit Tigers, six more games against the Kansas City Royals, and based on the first 12 games of the year, they have six more games against the Cleveland Indians. So that's 25 games that the White Sox could have a winning record over that stretch. The bad news, they have 15 more games against the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. Yeah, it could get ugly. It could get ugly. Again, and remember, the, after the All-Star Game, so we're talking about this tough stretch. We talked about it last week on the show over these next 13 games. Uh, I'm sorry, 15 games. Where do we think the White Sox would be? You thought 7-8, and eight, Jim. You were being optimistic. I thought 5-10. and 10. But after the All-Star Game, they go to Oakland, and then they go to Kansas City, and then they go to Tampa Bay. That is a brutal 10-game road trip. For the White Sox having to span three time zones, and their reward is playing Miami for the first three days of uh, their homestand, followed up by a four-game series at home against the Minnesota Twins. Uh, so July doesn't look too promising either. I, I do feel at this stage, Jim, that it's coming—the really bad month of the season that just tanks our dreams—is coming. But they have been doing a good job pushing it
1: back. Yeah, I, I I think I'm hoping for this, you know, next month, month and a half that they score a lot of runs. I think that's where the you know, if, if Nova uh, continues to take on water and the other two rotation spots cease or not, uh, you know, struggle, then you know that's really not all that meaningful for prospects going forward. But I think when it comes to the offense, you know, Moncada and hopefully being healthy enough one to play. Uh, and, and Anderson not regressing all the way back to his old form and Jimenez keeping going and Abreu, you know, I guess that's kind of the one that's still up in the air. The White Sox sound like they want to keep him around. Nothing's happened yet. So, yeah, that's the one thing I'm kind of wondering about. But, you know, it sounds like given what Han has said, and he's usually never that forward, that they're going to keep him around. So you want to see him hitting too. Um, yeah, there, there are enough uh, key contributors who... You would like to see anything now it's that important that they hit now and against good pitching to where the games will still be interesting. I just hope that they're on the high-scoring side based on what you can expect.
0: Fun bad, like what we saw in Denver this weekend between oh, San God. Diego. I don't think I could take that. Yeah, you can. Uh, that regularly. Yes, you can. Jim. Good Lord. <laughs> yes, you can. How many runs was it? Like 92 for the series? Yeah. They set a new record for a four-game series.
1: Yeah, and Charlie Blackman had like 15 hits in a four-game series or something like that. It was just... <laughs> good and bad. But yeah, those are, those are two teams that just basically just beat the crap out of each other.
0: San Diego won the fourth game, pinch hitting a pitcher who walked with the bases loaded.
1: Yeah. That's like just a, uh, <laughs> a heavyweight match. It's in like in the 38th round. And one guy just uh, falls asleep.
0: <laughs> just passes out. Uh, I would find that entertaining. So if you want more offense, bring it on but I, I understand where you're coming from, Jim, but I
1: mean, I, I would, you know, some of those games I expect, but yeah, just not a succession of them. Game after game, <laughs> uh, you know, wasted bullpen after wasted bullpen. I think that would, I, I would feel that I'm not even playing in it. <laughs> well, Gukas
0: and Mark, thank you so much for your questions. Our next question comes from Andrew Siegel and Andrew is asking who would hearts when John Jay arrives. Could that be the end of the Yonder Alonzo era? Would Lurie Garcia move to the infield to keep Jose Rondon as a backup?
1: Yeah, I think that really, when he when it comes down to it, that uh, J Four Alonso would be the best use of that roster spot. Is ironic or poetic or whatever you want to call it. As sad as it might be, yeah, if you're the White Sox front office, that uh, you know the two guys who are inextricably linked. Uh, when they're acquired in the postseason never actually play together. But you know, when you look at their future value to the club, um Jay, you know, he doesn't have anything for the big picture, but if you bring them up and he looks anything like he was last year. He plays a good corner outfield defense. He can get on base from the left-hand side. You have a you actually have a table sitter at the top of the lineup against right-handed pitching that Leury is not quite cut out for and you know if Moncada's hurts then that's another guy who uh you know is not you know, you know Jose Rondon is going to take a spot in the second spot and Tim Anderson is a great on-base guy so you, know, you bring him up and you know he can hit second, he can hit first. You know it, there's some value there. He can help out pitchers cover center field in a pinch, you know, he does enough to where he helps out the White Sox, even if it's not really to any kind of satisfying degree. Alonzo right now, you know, like you said, he's not. they're not playing him. They, they've really cut down his playing time. If Zach Collins comes up and looks like he's worthy of those at-bats, that'd be a great way to rotate him in and out, you know, behind the plate. Uh, DH, you know, occasionally maybe play some first base, you know, that would be, you know, a, a decent use, use of his time. But I, I think with you know, Alonzo right now, there's just really nothing for him. He, uh, isn't, you know, he's batting below 200, so you don't want him at first base. You don't want, want him at DH. Um, he, he, when he has to, you know, settle for the occasional single, he provides no base running value. So yeah, there's just really nothing there and nothing to gain from him getting at bats or coming closer to triggering that, uh, vesting option. So it, it would seem like the right time to cut him. And, you know, if it is, uh, it does create spot for Jay. then I think that's, that's kind of a fun way to do it at least writing wise so i'm for that but yeah i think it does you know with larry you know he can play um it does it does show his value when like somebody like Moncada goes out and even then like with Moncada out and uh um you know Rondonin as the backup catcher emergency catcher when they're already uh down to one catcher you know larry can just cover so many positions and move stuff around that you really only need that three-man bench based on uh the ways you can shift them around, so that's that's the kind of cool thing about him and why I think he could have some value, but uh, also the reason why it, he's he's good to have around, just because as the White Sox try to build a team that can theoretically contend in twenty twenty, just having somebody you can plug in at a bunch of different positions and play it, you know, passably, average, you know, to an average level, uh, is something that the White Sox really haven't had much of, and it's hard to let go of that when they finally have it.
0: Circling back to John Jay, my question is. What's the point? Shouldn't this still be a time if you if Rick Khan truly believes that this is not the year to win that he does not feel confident that they can surprise and overachieve and be a winning team, wouldn't it just be better to continue to have Charlie Tilson and Ryan Cordell play even though they w- are probably worst talent uh, talented players than John Jay?
1: Uh, you know, I, I kind of get that, but I think, you know, maybe for the stretch where they're, uh, you know, still theoretically, in it, still within reach of 500 and, know, uh, yeah, maybe even a winning record and are facing a really tough schedule that, you know, does help to add a little bit of talent to the team, you know, talent that stands a better chance at the plate than Cordell or plays a better defense than Tilson. I, I can kind of see it. And if it co- and if it comes at the roster spot of guy, who's you know, not a part of the team like Alonzo, then I think there's a way to make it work. Because I don't think Tilson's an everyday player. I don't think Cordell's an everyday player. So I don't think ultimately they're being robbed of anything. You know, there is an outside shot that they can contribute, but right now I'm not quite seeing it. So I think having Jay for like a month, month and a half, and maybe they, you know, he shows enough to where they send him for some kind of player to be named later. It might be uh, a worthwhile enough try and, you know, should he get hurt again or not quite show it, they can cut him easily enough, so... I'm not really, uh, I guess, uh, opposed to the idea of them adding a, a credible major league outfielder to the roster at this point, even if it does cost younger guys, uh, fringier guys at bats. Andrew, thank you so much for your question, and great questions from everyone
0: this week submitting to P.O. Sox. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, again, follow us on Twitter or at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash socks machine and help support the site and the show at patreon.com slash socks machine where our Patreon supporters get additional content, not just from the podcast, but also from the website as well. We're having a meetup as well with our Patreon supporters in July in Downers Grove, I did not check to see how many spots were available. Jim, well, I want to say it's around ten. I'm checking right now. All right, so there's still some spots available. Yeah, eleven remaining. Okay, so limited availability. If you would like to join us for a road watch party, as the White Sox will be in Tampa Bay, but we will be we, we will be at Alter Brewery in Downers Grove watching the game. Uh, go to socksmachine.com. Uh, there is a link on the page to register for the event. Again, space is limited. Uh, make sure you register on Eventbrite where we have that set up. And hope to see you guys on July 21st
1: as the what. And also, I have not uh, linked to it on Twitter yet. I've been keeping it all to uh, the site and the podcast to. You know, for our loyal listeners to make sure they, that they get the inside track on it. But probably once we're a month out, I'll put it out to Twitter for to fill up the rest of the spots. So consider that your five-day warning. There you go. There you go. So
0: again, if you don't support us right now, but you like our work and you want more from us, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up. And that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the show, you can describe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and AudioBoom.com/slash/socks machine. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com. Your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Rely on the internet for everything. You need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity
1: delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online. Call one eight hundred Xfinity or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters.